Hello and welcome to Conversations. I'm Noah Epstein. This semester, we have a new co-host, and that co-host is Olivia Barrios-Johnson. Olivia, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, everyone. How's it going? I'm super excited to be the new co-host for Conversations. Um, A little bit about me. I'm from the Bronx, New York. We love the borough. And um, I am a journalism major here at Quinnipiac, and I'm 19 years old, and I'm super excited to uh, kick off this new episode. That's awesome. Shout out New York Yankees, Bronx, New York. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Um, So how are you today? How are you feeling? I'm doing very well. Uh, I had a couple classes. Um, had a good dinner, so I'm really excited to just start this day off. Yeah. Awesome. Love to hear it. All right. Today's episode will focus on Black History Month as February is coming to an end in the next couple days. There are a lot of movies that represent African-American culture and others that have black actors or actresses in lead roles. Olivia and I will draft these movies. We each get four movies and the first pick is decided on heads or tails. Our producer, Brendan Sampson, will flip his mini GIF to go peanut butter and we will get underway. You ready, Olivia? I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. All right, Brandon, flip that peanut butter. All right, yeah, I mean, we would have done a coin, but this is the best we have. Olivia, you're calling it in the air. Uh, Jif is heads, and the other side, which has nothing, is tails. Ready? Heads. It is indeed heads. Do you want first or second pick? I really thought the tails never fails, but I guess it does. <laughs> in this case, yes. So you're taking first pick? All right, so my movie is going to be Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. That's a good one. I actually have not seen Hidden Figures, but I saw all the trailers in the theater, and, I mean, it looks really good. Yeah, so I really love this movie just because it focuses on these three women who were um, working at NASA at a time where women were not um, seen as people who could be in in NASA and be in science, but they actually went against all odds. They helped create the math and the science for um, a big launch. And so it was just a great movie overall to see women, especially black women, achieving such high um, achievements and also just setting the bar and letting other young black women know that they too can be in STEM and really just learn and make sure not to, um, you know, feel doubtful because at the end of the day, if you got it, you got it. You can do it. Hidden Figures, I definitely need to see that one. The first pick of the 2022 draft goes to Hidden Figures. And with my pick, I will be taking a movie that I know you've seen, and that is Black Panther. Oh, man. (laughs) So I had a couple other movies on this list that I wanted to take, but I think that you haven't seen them, but I went with Black Panther. Obviously the story of King T'Challa taking over his father's mantle. And I mean, this is a great movie. First of all, I'm a huge MCU fan, so that's a big reason why I like it. But the action's great. The story's great. Uh, Killmonger as a villain is great. Michael B. Jordan does a great job. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, God rest his soul. He had an amazing performance. And, you know, Black Panther is just, I, I love the movie. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I loved it. I saw it in theaters when it first came out. I was super excited. I wore my Black is Beautiful <laughs> t-shirt, and it was just a great film overall. Just to see, once again, black people as superheroes just doing superhero things and, and really just defying all odds. So I love that movie. I remember stepping out of theaters, like, so impressed. Yeah. I remember, like, we saw, um, I remember I took a picture with my brother next to, like, the Black Panther uh, like poster right cutouts, outside the th- yeah like yeah. the cutouts outside the th- like right inside the theater because we were just oh my, we were we were like okay I'm very excited for him to be in Infinity War now like we were really yeah. excited <laughs> all right it's your pick all right so next I have Dream Girls so if you don't know the movie Dream Girls it's basically like 
it's a sing-songy movie, and if not everyone's into that, I understand. But I, I love to sing. I love to hear music. So it was just overall a really fun movie, and um, it has Jennifer Hudson in it. It also has Jamie Foxx in it, and it's just a great movie overall. I was actually, fun fact, in the play Dream Girls back in middle school, back to my uh, musical theater days. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just love the movie overall. I love the singing, and I like the era that it's in, and also showcases black singers and talent that's also a big part of our culture so it's more of a personal connection to you because you were in the play <laughs> yeah definitely a personal connection jennifer hudson if you hear this i love you girl <laughs> maybe she listening who knows i'm just looking at the cast right now not only does it have jennifer hudson and jane fox it has beyonce eddie yep. murphy danny glover that's that John Krasinski's in it for some reason. Th that's a crazy cast. That's Brendan, we have to go back and watch it tonight. We're watching it. <laughs> Definitely yeah. do. Dream Girls. That's, that's on our list now. <laughs> All right. So I am going to take Django Unchained. Okay. Django Unchained. Jamie Foxx is Django Unchained. It's Quentin Tarantino. In my is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie personally. I mean, the violence obviously, the story obviously, it's Quentin Tarantino. But the idea of a slave like triumphing over the evils that is just such a great story and i just i love everything about that movie there's obviously a couple scenes that are rough to watch like the dog scene is i have to close my eyes every single time for that but you know jamie fox absolutely kills it samuel jackson absolutely kills it i mean it's i love it i love it so much <laughs> yeah no it's definitely one of those action-packed movies and you have to be definitely in the mood for it but it's also a really good one and it's different but i do like it as well Yep. All right, so I have Black Panther and Django. All right, I have Hidden Figures and Dreamgirls. All right, what's what's your number three? And my number three is going to be Love and Basketball. So I'm also a big romance type of movie person, and I will watch them and rewatch them 24-7. Um, but Love and Basketball talks about this couple. Um, obviously, they're brought together by the sport of basketball, and it just shows how their relationship kind of develops over the years. They were childhood friends, and then when they went off to college, they went to play uh, basketball at a D1 level. So you just see how basketball kind of, takes place in their life and really influences their relationship but you also see how it can make it difficult with scheduling and also just trying to adjust to college life but it's definitely a classic movie that i feel like all people should watch it's really good um and yeah it's entertaining i just saw i looked up the cast and i saw gabby unions in the movie yep, so i wonder she if is. i wonder if Dwayne wade saw it and i mean i know he <laughs> saw it but i wonder if he what he thinks about it because obviously basketball so right what he thinks that. about it now <laughs> All right, so time for pick number three for me, and I'm surprised neither of us have taken this so far. I'm going to take Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans is such a great movie. It is, out of everything taken, it's probably my favorite. I just, you know, waited until round three for some reason. But Denzel Washington is amazing. Like, every single line he speaks. My brother and I literally quote him all the time, like, well, like you having fun, aren't you? You having fun. Like, like every <laughs> single line is so electric out of him. And it's just the, the like, Civil War-ish story about, you know, the blacks versus whites. And they, they're so, there's so much tension between them at the beginning of the movie. And as the movie um, goes on, it's like, you know, strong side, left side, strong side. Right. Like, they're, they, they just start um, becoming closer. And it's just, it's 
Um, I love it so much. It's a great movie. Yeah. Well, I actually have not seen that one. You got to get on that. I need to <laughs> get on it. it. Uh, sounds really interesting. But Denzel, in whatever movie he does, he's definitely a great actor. He has really set the, the standard and, and he always delivers in whatever movie it is. So if Denzel's in it, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> yeah. So I have to watch Training Day. That's that's one movie that's been on my to watch list for ever. And I just have not. Yeah, seen yeah. it, but I, that's, I mean, Denzel, so I have to see that. <laughs> but uh, what is your pick? My next pick. Or your last pick. My last four. pick is going to be Straight Outta Compton. Oh, I was taking that next. I was actually <laughs> taking that next. That's oh. So let me give y'all a little backstory. I grew up with gangster rap. My mother, she is from Los Angeles, and I've always listened to Easy e Dr. Dre, Tupac. You know, was it the right music a four-year-old should be listening to? Maybe not, but you know what? It's definitely a part of my culture, and I just love hearing it. So when I saw the movie Straight Outta Compton, I was rapping every song in the movie. I was really just listening and just really excited to see the story of these group of men who came from practically nothing and became these stars overnight. And they it shows how... Yes, they experienced a lot of hate because of their music and because of songs like F the Police and, and what the message really was saying in that song. But I feel like overall, it's just a great movie to show that when you have a gift and a talent and you're passionate about something, you just have to go for it. And there's going to be haters. There's going to be people who don't like it. But that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, I saw Straight Outta Compton a few months ago, and I really liked it. I also learned a lot about you know the history that I didn't know. And literally what two weeks ago or less than two weeks ago was the super bowl and yep. at the halftime show was you know dr dre and all of his like eminem 50 cent snoop dog Mary J. Blige, kendrick all like, the icons but yeah so those people from straight out of compton that i literally just saw a few months ago mm-hmm. performing at you know the halftime show it was, it was it was really cool and now that i now that i know the history behind it or a little bit more of the history behind it because of watching the movie, mm-hmm. I was able to appreciate the halftime show so much more. Right. And I feel like a lot of people, a lot of um, older parents really just appreciated the halftime show because it brought them back to their childhood, to their young teenage years, listening to gangster rap and just, you know, reclaiming that for themselves. I love to see it. Yeah. I saw all the TikToks and stuff. About yeah. Like millennials <laughs> during, the, during the halftime <laughs> right. show. Um, all right. So it is my pick with the last pick. Ooh, what should I go with? I am gonna choose. I'm gonna choose Get Out. Mm. I was I was be- I was between a couple ones, but Get Out is gonna be my pick. First of all, Daniel Kaluuya is great. Um, but the story about you know a an African American man going to the family of you know, a racist family, it's just very interesting. And it was uh, like so many creepy moments throughout the movie where you're like, what is going on? Like, is are they like what's what's happening here? And then obviously they end up being evil and they want to, you know, take over his body. And there's that whole thing. Spoiler (laughs) alert. Um, (laughs) No, but seriously, Get Out is a very, very well done movie. And someone told me it was a horror movie and I went into it because I hate horror movies. And I was like, I was kind of scared, but it's not scary. It's just like really intriguing and it's a really good movie. Yeah, you know, I will admit I only watched maybe 15, 20 minutes of that movie. And the reason why it was just something. I was busy that day, but I also don't really like horror movies, so that probably could have held me back from seeing it. But now that you talk about, you know, it's it's yeah. not like not scary. I hate horror movies me too. more than anything. <laughs> the horror they stress me out. It is not a horror movie. Okay, Definitely so maybe not. I have to tune in then. Jordan Peele, obviously, first you know that's his first movie. That's yeah. a crazy, crazy 
first movie that he had. Um, but kudos to him. He's really setting the scene for himself as well. Yeah, started off as a comedian and now, you know, big time director. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to give the rundown of my final list. So we have Hidden Figures, Dream Girls, Love and Basketball, and Straight Outta Compton. And my four picks are Black Panther, Django Unchained, Remember the Titans, and Get Out. Make sure to check out our draft picks on QU Chronicles Instagram and Twitter. There will be a poll so you can pick your favorite list. Now let's get into today's topics. We'll discuss the accusations made by Brian Flores against the NFL, black creators on TikTok, and we'll talk to Dr. Christina Dickerson-Cousin about her new book and about Black History Month. On February 1st, Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores sued the NFL and three teams for what he called racial discrimination in these teams' hiring practices. So, Olivia, what do you think about this? Yeah, so it's definitely something that we've seen in the past, and I think it brings a lot of, of um, it brings up the topic of just uh, hiring, especially when it comes to race. And I think that this is another example of the importance of making sure that we do have other people of color in the hiring process and in higher levels. Because as we see in a lot of just corporations and also within the NFL, it's still very much male, white dominated space. So I think that these accusations, it's something that it was definitely going to happen eventually because we do see the inequalities within hiring processes. So, you know, it, it's a tough situation, but Sometimes it has to happen to bring to light these inequalities. In the NFL, they have the Rooney Rule, which means that for an interview process, they have to interview at least one African-American coach. So one of the things that Flores was suing the NFL over was that the Giants did not even consider him because they interviewed him, but then they made up their mind on Brian Dabble, their new head coach, before they even interviewed him like a few days after. So, yeah, so... A lot of stuff that have, has been going down the last 23 days, yeah. and it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and I think that also um, I was reading an article, and it's kind of like a just a, a sticker over like the whole entire issue. Like you're just gonna fill, you know, this one person of color spot. We're just gonna make sure we at least interview somebody because if we don't, we're gonna look bad. And that's kind of what I get, the vibe that I get. Um, and it shouldn't be that way. You should be genuinely wanting to seek out the best coach for these teams and also consider diversifying these spaces for coaches and for, for players as well. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be on merit because that's how jobs work. And but there, Brian Flores is a great head coach, and he mm-hmm. definitely deserves a head coaching position. Eric Bieniemy is a really good offensive coordinator. He could deserve a head coaching position, maybe. So um, you just see, you know, the, the argument on the other side is, oh, well, these coaches are good too. Well, Brian Flores is a really good head coach for the Dolphins. He took a team that was not supposed to do well at all, and he won seven games in a row towards the end of the season. And you know, very, very good defensive mind. And was actually was just hired by the Steelers, Mike Tomlin's team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's very interesting and a very very good hire for the Steelers. Yeah, definitely. And and like I said before, making sure that we retain uh, black coaches and retain black people in general in the NFL because we know we see them on the field, but it's also nice to see them holding other positions other than just players. We can see them being um, managers and being head coaches, and I feel like it's important for the NFL to recognize all the hard work that coaches in general do and make sure that we're giving people what they deserve, you know, making sure they get the same amount of equal pay as their fellow white coaches as well um and and i'm really interested to see where this uh lawsuit goes and and where we go from there 
Yeah, me too. What I'm sure of is that the Steelers are definitely going to improve because Flores is a very good coach. Flores also said in his lawsuit that he was offered $100,000 for every loss in the 2019 season by the Dolphins. And during his interview with the Broncos, the members of the Broncos interviewing team showed up, I forgot whether he was drunk or hungover or clearly not sober, to his interview. So that's just another example of them not taking him seriously. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is an interview. you got to be professional and take people seriously, especially if they're coming to you wanting to seek a position and you're looking for the best candidate. I, don't, I mean, how are you going to be in the best state of mind to pick somebody if you're like a little, ooh. <laughs> yeah, or they already picked someone before that interview, and that's, right. that's probably what Flores is alluding to. Yep, <laughs> for sure. So also during Black History Month, we want to honor those who contribute to the creative space. And TikTok is one of the many platforms that black creators have really been putting their foot in in, and also just getting excited about. So also, I do want to mention that, you know, with TikTok, as with a lot of other types of creative uh, spaces, it's kind of unfortunate that when black TikTokers create something or say something that it's oftentimes not shown or it's also taken up by white TikTokers and then that's when it becomes mainstream. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about some examples of this and also just bring about awareness of this, um, you know, unfortunate event that happens every single time when a black creator comes up with something cool, a new dance, a new sound on TikTok. It's often never seen by the original creator and instead taken up by white mainstream TikTokers and and it goes from there. Um, So one example of this, we have Nicki Minaj. She recently hosted a um, an event and it was going to be a virtual event And um, what ended up happening, however, was that non-black TikTokers dominated the space. And this was a Black History Month event to kick off um, Black History Month and also for other black creators to get a chance to talk with Nikki um, and just, you know, be in a Zoom chat with her, share ideas with her. However, many black TikTokers were upset because they weren't even able to get on the Zoom link itself because of the oversaturation. Um, And also during they had a question and answer portion. Still, a majority of non-black voices were getting their questions selected. So a lot of black TikTokers felt like this event, which was supposed to be for them, ended up not being for them. Yeah. So I feel like I'm the perfect person to talk to about this, to be honest, because I am not like highly involved in the tiktok community in the tiktok mm-hmm. world like i recently got involved because i think it's absolutely addicting and I'm very addicting <laughs> yes i'm on it literally every morning and every night now but the names i've heard are just like charlie d'amelio and addison ray and those are like the dances that i've heard of and the dances that i've seen so i've seen these like white women that are doing these dances and i just found out about you know how it's really black women who are coming up with them and then transferring them and then like you know being stolen basically Jesus. so i yeah i just have, you know, I've been exposed to the white dancers and I've not been exposed to the black dancers where in the, like, in reality, I should have been exposed exposed to who was actually doing the dances. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of that also has to just do with the algorithm and your For You page. Um, I know that if I looked at one of my other friends' For You pages, it would be a lot different than what's on mine. So I'm glad that I've kind of created mine to make sure that I get the original black creators of sounds, of dances, of trends, and before it actually hits white spaces on TikTok. Um, So one example, we do also have... um, 
uh, Kiki Wilson. So back in 2020, we had the Savage Dance uh, with Megan Thee Stallion's song, Savage. And that took TikTokers by storm. Like people were dancing, bringing their family members, having everybody just super excited for this dance. But the actual creator, Kiki Wilson, Kiara Wilson, she was not given the credit. And instead, it was given to people like Charlie D'Amelio, Addison Rae, like we mentioned. Um, And they gained millions of followers and also just brand deals and just um, verifications on TikTok because they blew up so much. And the money and the revenue that came from this dance was not even really given to, to the original creator. I'm sure Wilson was not happy about that. <laughs> yeah, and and definitely not. Um, and Addison Ray also even appeared on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and she performed the dances. And she did not did not once acknowledge where the actual dance came from and the original creator. So she got a lot of backlash from that as well. Um, and it wasn't until people called her out on it that she said something about it um but i think this is just a perfect example of what happens when we have spaces and platforms like tiktok and we fail to acknowledge the original creators and the original black minds that really set the culture yeah i mean i could see why that would upset kiki wilson or any of the other original content makers of these dances because like obviously it's been so popularized by apparently people who haven't even come up with the dances yeah so i mean that's pretty crazy my for you page has no dances it's there's no dances, <laughs> no on my dances for you page. at all it's you know star wars and marvel and that kind of stuff and sports but yeah hey no, but that's no still dances. interesting <laughs> oh yeah definitely yeah not only not only popularized too like they're making so much money off of it Very addison nice. ray is worth like 15 million dollars yeah. No, yeah, yeah. These TikTokers are making millions and millions of dollars off of these dances and trends that they've really taken over. And the original creators aren't even getting half of what what the white creators are getting. And they're also getting shows and and brand deals. So, you know, it's important that we make sure to own our creation and make sure that other people give credit when it's due. And I think that just goes across any single um, creative space, whether you're a writer, whether you're a singer, dancer, making sure that people know this is your original work and giving it credit is very important. Today we have uh, Christina Dickerson with us. She is a professor here at Quinnipiac and we will just be talking with her about her new book called Black Indians and Freedmen, the African Methodist Episcopal Church and Indigenous Americans. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us this morning. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me. So we wanted just to start off um, the interview and asking you just if you can talk about your book and more specifically, why did you feel that it was important to write about a book um, about the connection between African Methodists and also the five civilized tribes? um, And where did you get the inspiration from there? Yeah, well, that's an excellent question. Well, I have grown up as an African Methodist for my whole life. My father is the retired now, but he was the historian for the AME church for over 20 years. And after I graduated from college in 2004 with my degree in history, uh, in the intervening time between my undergraduate career and my graduate career, I spent about a year working in his office. So I was around all of these, you know, AME uh, records. And so during the course of that, I came across all of these references to the Indian Mission Annual Conference, and I had never heard of that, though I had been in AME my whole life. 
So over the course of just trying to understand more about that and accessing the various materials in his office, that's really how I came to this, this topic. Awesome, awesome. Can you talk to us about the role religion played in Black migration? As I know that's one of the topics in, I read a little bit of the preview. Um, can you talk to us about that as well? Absolutely. So what I talk about in my book is something that I call the African Methodist migration. And basically what that is, is that as AMEs are migrating westward, first to what was then considered the West, which was uh, Illinois and Indiana, et cetera, they would go and establish churches. And then the way the AME structure is, is that whoever is the bishop over that area will then have to every year continually appoint pastors to those churches. So oftentimes they would appoint ministers who weren't from the area. And so those ministers would then have to migrate west to serve in those churches. And oftentimes they would stay and they would stay in the west and develop families there and then just continue living there. And so what I argue in the book is that this is an additional impetus for black western migration. So for example, when the AME Church establishes the Indian Mission Conference in what is now Oklahoma, they established that in 1879. Then in 1880, the bishop over that area was Henry McNeil Turner. And he appoints a, an AME minister from South Carolina to come to Indian territory and pastor a church in the Choctaw Nation. So that's just one of many examples where you have ministers who live perhaps in the Southeast being appointed to churches in the West, migrating there, establishing families. And that is what I call the African Methodist migration. And how would you say that this migration impacted the main, uh, one of the main goals, which was to include a diverse and vulnerable group of people within uh, the AME church? Well, I would say it was very successful in many ways. Firstly, they were invited to the Indian territory by uh, these former slaves of the five civilized tribes. So the five civilized tribes, the Cherokee Creek, Choctaw, Chickasaw, and Seminole, all owned black slaves. And after emancipation, these former slaves who were then called freedmen, they asked if the AME church would be willing to come. You know, we are now free. We want to be able to have our own institutions. And so they invite the AME church. At that time, the closest AMEs were in Arkansas. So AMEs from Arkansas started coming there. Eventually the AME church empowered indigenous ministers to pastor churches in the region. And so the AME church in the Indian territory comes to include uh, these former slaves of the Cherokee, Choctaw, Chicago, and Seminole people. So in that way, the AME church does fulfill that, that mission and that intention. Awesome. And my final question would be, um, you know, given that it is Black History Month, we are representing Black authors and young people. Um, what advice would you give to any other young authors out there who want to pursue book writing and also just discovering and researching different topics that interest them? Do it. That's my advice. Go for it. At the time when I started this research. I mean, I started this really back in 2004 when I graduated college and, you know, went to graduate school after that. And so there was some intervening time, but it took a long time to come to this point where it could actually be published as a book. And so I certainly had many moments 
when I thought, obviously nobody cares about this. This is never going to get published. Who is going to care about these former enslaved people? But, you know, with support from my family and my own kind of inner uh, motivation, I kept persevering. And now it's a book. So I would really encourage you, if there's something that just kind of lights your fire, something that you just can't quite get out of your head and you just want to pursue, I encourage you to pursue it. And if people say no, say, okay, that's your opinion. I still think this is important and continue doing your work. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a witness that it can still, you know, it can happen. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So Olivia just brought up that it's Black History Month. Since coming to Quinnipiac in 2017, you've given presentations at the university for Black History Month. So what's the goal you have when making these presentations? Well, oftentimes it's not only just to highlight Black history, but also to highlight elements of Black history that we don't know as well. You know, there are certain historical figures who are, of course, very important, Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman, and it's always important to highlight those figures. But there are a lot of other people who should be, you know, discussed and talked about. I talk about many of them in my own work. And so I certainly want to emphasize other people who we don't know as well, who don't fit as much into the uh, sort of the timeline that we're most accustomed to. So in my book, for example, I'm highlighting people of uh, African and indigenous heritage. These are people who are, you know, very much around and they their stories matter and they should be heard as well alongside the more familiar figures. So that certainly is something I try to emphasize whenever I speak at Quinnipiac. So I have a two-parter for you. One, why is it important to spread awareness about racism and injustice going on in America during the month of February? And also, why is it important any month besides February? Yeah, well, we have a complex history in this country. It involves a lot of different people from different cultures and societies and ethnicities. And it all should be highlighted. It's all, it's not about making any one group feel bad or making any one group feel better than another. It's about acknowledging the very true, very real, very dynamic history of this nation and using that knowledge to better understand people today. So it's just about highlighting the truth about what has happened in the past and how that affects our present day life and how we want to see uh, perhaps changes for the future. According to QU.edu, only 4.3% of class of 2025 students are African-American. Mm-hmm. So why is it specifically important to make presentations and spread awareness to QU students who are mostly white? Well, I think it's important for all Americans to know American history. Black history is American history. Indigenous history is American history. And it should not be considered you know, separate or divorced from the general American story. So everyone should know all of these things. Everyone should know about Henry McNeil Turner. Everyone should know about uh, Afro-Indigenous people. It's not something that should only be for African-Americans to know. It's for all of us to know. And again, everyone in this country comes from their own unique heritage and all of it is important and all of it should be, should be recognized and acknowledged. What is the biggest accomplishment in your career? Would it be your book or would it be something else? I hadn't thought about it. Um, in terms of my, my greatest academic accomplishment, certainly I would say the book uh, because I'm, you know, I'm very proud of it. It took a lot of research. It was very difficult. The 
the materials that I used for it, you know, it's not as if it was all in just one place and I had to go to one place. I had to go to many places. I did, you know, I went to Oklahoma and did uh, interviews with for the descendants of formerly enslaved people who were, you know, enslaved by indigenous nations. And so, so I'm very proud of the end product and the end result of that. I'm also very proud of what I've been able to do at Quinnipiac. I come from a very, very supportive department. The history department at Quinnipiac is phenomenal. And when I have pitched a course, they said, okay, great, make it happen. And so I've been able to teach a Native American history course that I'm very proud of and two part, a two-part African-American history course that I'm very proud of. And so I'm you know, very pleased that I've been able to do that and that I've had the support from my department and from the College of Arts and Sciences to, to offer these courses that I think are important to all of our students. So you talked a lot about your book before. You just called it your biggest academic achievement. Um, your book covers the years 1816 to 1916. You ever think about writing another book, maybe covering the years since then? <laughs> um, not exactly. There are certain threads in the book that I wasn't able to fully explore just because, you know, you don't want the book to be 800 pages. So there are threads from the book that I intend to pick up for maybe my second book. Uh, but in terms of expanding this current volume, I'm, I'm happy with where it is. <laughs> That's good to hear. Okay, so Olivia and I had a draft, actually a movie draft, where we drafted, um, we each drafted four movies, and it was movies based on African-American history, or it had like an African-American lead actor or something along the lines of, of that. So what do you think your favorite movie is in terms of like African-American history? Uh, well, I would say easily the movie that I've seen the most is Glory. I used to watch that movie you know, all the time with my dad. And then as an adult, of course, I see so much more in it. I make my students watch it. I just, I just love that film for what it shows about how African-American men did not wait to be freed. They actively were participants in ensuring that they and their countrymen would also be free and just showing the, you know, the diversity within the African-American experience. You have these different characters who come from different, uh, uh, backgrounds, you know, Denzel Washington's character is very different than Andre Brower's character, but it shows that complexity. And again, it shows, you know, black men just being awesome. Unfortunately, I have not seen Glory yet, but I, I know I have to get Run, on. don't walk. <laughs> Go see Glory. <laughs> yep, Me either, but I definitely have to Ooh. get on it too. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what were your favorite movies then? What did you list so then? One of mine was actually Hidden Figures. I love that movie. Yes, I actually saw that movie in a full theater. It, it was all of my source. I'm, I'm an Alpha Kappa Alpha as well. And the three women highlighted are also Alpha Kappa Alpha. So we had the entire, you know, theater. We all watched it. We all wore our pink and green. So yeah, I have very, you know, positive feelings in, in regards to that movie as well. What about you, Noah? One of the movies I took was Remember the Titans. Amazing movie. Also Denzel Washington movie. I know. Um, it's all Denzel. All Denzel. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, that is just a I first of all, the football aspect, but also the like Civil War ish aspect that they, you know, go into and talk about and just the conflict between the African-Americans and whites in that movie on the football team. And by the end of the movie, they're like all friends. It's just such a such a such a great story. I, I love Remember the Titans so much. Absolutely. Well, I want to give a shout out to not a film, but a TV show that is currently running on HBO called The Gilded Age. 
And you may not automatically think the Gilded Age is about African-Americans, but they have a fantastic uh, character named Peggy Scott. And she really portrays the black elite in New York at this time. And Erica Dunbar, who is a fantastic historian, she wrote the book Never Caught about a former slave of George Washington and her you know, quest for freedom. And Erica Dunbar is, I believe, a producer on the show, but certainly a historical consultant. And so she is ensuring the, the accuracy of the portrayal of African-Americans during this period on the show. So I really encourage people to watch that. And that's going on right now. Well, Olivia and I certainly have a lot to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. And we will get right to it. <laughs> yes, we will. All right, Christina, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Glad to be with you and happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month, happy Professor. History Month. And I also, if I could, just as a reminder, so I will be doing a presentation about my book on Monday, February the 28th from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. in CCE. I think it's room 101. So there was an announcement on the, the QU sort of ticker uh, giving that announcement, yeah, but I would encourage anyone who can to come out and hear my lecture about my book. Christina's book, Black Indians and Freedmen, the African Methodist Episcopal Church and Indigenous Americans, 1816 to 1916. All right, that'll do it for conversations. Special thanks to Dr. Christina Dickerson Cousin for talking with us. Olivia, I hope you enjoyed your first episode with us. I did, and I definitely can't wait for the next one. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us, and be sure to check out the polls on social media and vote for me. Have a good one.